Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 27, entitled Mirage and Her Man Sam, in which I'll be examining issue number 23. This episode will be exploring Danny and Sam's investigation into Rain and Roberto's strange behavior as of late. What are they going to find out? Well, stay tuned, and, well, you'll find out. So, as has become custom, we will start by reviewing the creative team. Uh, obviously, Chris Claremont's still doing the writing. We have Bill Sienkiewicz still doing the artwork, and it's still just as stunning as it was the very first time I, I examined this issue, first time I read it. Uh, Tom Orzacheski's doing the lettering, and again, I can't rave enough about this man's ability. Uh, he He's able to put all of Claremont's words into a panel, uh, onto the page, into this book, and... Uh, that's that's a that's a pretty fantastic feat in itself. Uh, as I've said before, Claremont's a wordy guy, and uh, you need somebody to be able to push those, put those letters in those small balloons or boxes. And uh, he's done a master, masterful job as usual with that. Glynis wins colorist, and uh, you know her her she does a fantastic job working with. Uh, Zinkevich. Uh Anne Nacetti. Anne Nacenti is the line editor. And and when I say a line editor, she is the X-Men line editor. She is editing uh X-Men titles. Uh and as I'm recording this episode, it is uh January 17th. It is Anne Nacenti's birthday, so you know, happy birthday to her. She is um huge. You know, there are there are a few editors, writers, and artists that really had an impact on X titles and the New Mutants, and, and she is obviously one of them. She's fantastic, and uh, I, I wish her the happiest of birthdays. Thank you for your contribution, uh, even if you aren't listening. And Jim Shooter uh, is editor-in-chief. So that's our, that's our creative team, and uh, let's, well, let's not hesitate any longer. Let's dive right in to issue number 23 entitled Shadow Man so this issue it opens uh, with a splash page and we see Roberto da Costa's father Emmanuel da Costa and he is in uh, the the traditional um, ceremonial dress Victorian dress that is the Hellfire Inner Circles normal wear and uh, we see standing next to him a woman that uh, we saw show up in the last issue, Celine. She's back. Uh, she's dressed what appears to be all leather, head to toe, uh, sle- uh, sh- elbow links, gloves, uh, and uh, maybe a jumpsuit. It it could. It looks like it's probably leather. It could be another material, maybe a velvet or something, but I'm guessing leather. And uh, she's got a riding crop. And uh, she she looks like Celine, except for she's a little, uh, she's she's not uh, in her Roman garb that we'd seen her in 
when she was in Nova Roma. And she is coming, she's come to New York, you know, she's looking for uh, new influences. She's looking to have, like, she's kind of been run out of Nova Roma. She, she, you know, she, her bid for power there, you know, was usurped. Uh, usurped is probably not the correct word, but she was basically run out uh, when the New Mutants helped to topple Galileo and restore the, uh, the Republic. So she's looking for new home new place to lie down and like infiltrate and new people to like suck their lives out of them you know to to maintain her life uh anyways she is also bidding to enter the inner circle she is basically applying to be the black queen and uh this this shame is like here claremont has put this character that is like i've said before i find celine to be a great character like when she's first introduced uh, she has so much potential, right? We don't know anything about her. We know a little bit about her, and she gives little hints and drops of details. She's evil, and we don't know anything more than that. She doesn't have a backstory, and we we just don't really ever get anything, uh, unfortunately. You know, sp- you know, she starts showing up in X titles. She's around for the New Mutants, and she just really never gets developed very well. And as a result, she becomes just a villain, and she ultimately kind of becomes a boring villain. Like, the thing that's fun to see her here is because there was potential, and, you know, anything that's new, when I'm reading through, you know, would have been it would have been new at the time, it's certainly old, not now, but... Like, seeing how this book develops and the characters that are brought in and with the potential that they could develop, it's it's exciting. It's exciting. And sometimes that promise is never realized. And other times it is realized, you know, to, you know, just beautifully and perfectly. And I think the main cast, you see, like, evidence that it's, like, masterfully handled. Their characters grow and develop and transform, and it's barely... Uh, unbelievable and amazing. You know, one of the villains for obviously the X-Men that really grows and is developed is Magneto. Uh, But Selene never gets that treatment. And I'm spending a lot of time talking about her because I think, I I just think she could have been so phenomenal. She could have been so phenomenal. And and instead, she really never developed in that light. Never really explored. And, And as a result, she just becomes just this this evil thing that there's no depth to that it's just evil and 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 eventually that becomes boring the conflict can only be good versus evil and there's no other depth to that conflict magneto offers more he offers much more than that uh, his character is tragic and there's like the idea that he's doing something for a greater good uh even though it's just a different road to get to the same ends to a certain degree. Um, he wants to protect mutant kind, and this is the way he thinks is best based on his life experiences. It's really, really astounding. Anyways, as I said, Roberto's father, Emmanuel Costa, and Celine are both applying to become members of the inner circle. Uh, and one of them is obviously here because Sebastian Shaw wants him to be here, and that's Emmanuel Costa. Right, he is being brought into the inner circle in an effort to to 
get control to manipulate Roberto, right? Eventually, eventually, what's Sebastian Shaw and Emmanuel, wittingly or unwittingly, wants to 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 heal that damaged relationship, and if if that can happen, Shaw has an in to Roberto, and whether Emmanuel totally understands the the depths and the and the concerns and the interests of Shaw and the desire to manipulate Roberto. It's you know, I, I would guess he doesn't. But that's that's the game for Shaw. Now, Celine, on the other hand, she's a wild card. He doesn't he doesn't really know her very well. He knows that she has been offered as uh is being supported by um by uh Von oh sorry <laughs> She's being, um, she's being um, put up to, uh, she's being sponsored, sorry, that's the word I was looking for, uh, by Von Rahm, Von Rehm, right? And he's not happy about this, Shaw isn't. He, he doesn't trust Celine. He sees her as somebody who could challenge his power. And he's, he's aware of that. He's aware that, you know, she has powers, uh, mutant abilities just like he does, and he's going to have to keep an eye on her. And so he's very much aware of the danger, the game they're playing, right? This is this is kind of neat. Um, it's, it's a high-stakes game, honestly, for these characters. They're at the upper echelons of power and wealth, and the game for them, right, it's there's very much a belief amongst themselves that that wealth and their privilege and their place in society, they wouldn't have that if they weren't, you know, capable people. If they didn't have the abilities and the intelligence to gain that wealth and that power, they, they wouldn't have it. And so, therefore, they are the best, they're best uh, capable, they're best able to to make decisions for future generations and to decide how things will play out and to manipulate events around the world. It's their role. But that also allows for political intrigue and like backstabbing and just manipulation within the Hellfire Club and the circle, the inner circle especially. So it's a game of power. It's a game of, you know, chest at this high level. Um, so that's what's going on at the Hellfire Club. We have a reintroduction of Celine. She's going to become, uh, really, uh, an X-Men villain. And, and what we see here again in this issue, as we've seen before in New Mutant issues, these, these New Mutant uncanny issues, they, they kind of intertwine. So if you're reading both titles, you get a grand soap opera. And you can read one title without reading the other, and it's not much of an effect. Um, certainly you don't lose a lot. But Claremont's really just writing between two books, and it's just a way of telling a grand story for him. Uh, and we see that here when we're going to be introduced to Magneto later on and his appearance. He had appeared in the last Uncanny X-Men issue. Um, and he fell for the sky, land in the ocean, and is almost devoured by sharks. But we aren't there yet. Uh, instead, we go to Salem Center, New York. And a dive, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a bar, Harry's Hideaway. Just, it's just outside of, 
Xavier's school. It's really close. And we see Peter Rasputin's there, and he's playing with the owner of the bar. He's playing chess. Imagine that we we had the these uh this induction ceremony and these huge wealthy people playing this game of intrigue and uh uh, manipulation at this high level of power, right? And then we have Roberto, or Peter, Piotr Rasputin, and Harry playing uh, chess. Chess. And, uh, and Peter finally is able to best Harry in this game of chess. And they've been playing for quite a time, as we find out through their, their d- discussion. And, and Harry's hideaway is, like I said, it's a bar near, near the Xavier School, and uh, this is the first time it's shown up. And an X title. Prior to this, we haven't seen an Uncanny X-Men, and this is the first time for certain an Uncanny X-Men. And what we come to find out, it's it's a saloon. It's it's a saloon bar bar and grill, but saloon, and and they don't really want kids underage. So the New Mutants, this isn't a place they're going to be hanging out. Um, later incarnations, that'll change, but right now it's a saloon, and teenagers aren't allowed. And the way we find this out is the barmaid or the the lady uh, working the bar on the other side and in, in the other room in the main room. Uh, so we can assume that Peter, Piotr, and uh, Harry are playing in a different area of his establishment. She comes in. She tells them, "Hey, you know, Roberto's here. He's really messed up. I told him it's closing time. He's not responding to me." He's like, hey, kids aren't supposed to be allowed in here. And we find out that he's really messed up. There's something really wrong with him. He's he's down on himself. He's really depressed. Something's wrong. And Molly's like, just couldn't turn him away. So she got him something to eat and was hoping he'd eat. Well, he didn't touch the food that she brought him. And Peter says, well, you know, don't worry about it. I'll go over. I'll talk to him, you know, and we'll, we'll get out of here. You know, like, I don't want to cause any trouble. And so he goes over and you know, Roberto just won't respond. And Peter reaches out and touches his shoulder. He's like, you know, we got to go. Telling him he needs to go. It's time to go. And and Roberto loses it. He, uh... He, tell, he, he, does, he does give somewhat of a warning. He's shaking. Uh, what we can appears... It appears to be shaking through the artwork that, uh... Uh... Zinkevich, uh... Puts on this panel... He does say for he he tells um Peter to leave him alone to get away from him uh and there's discussion and he, he you know Roberto spins and punches Peter in the face and he turns into his sunspot form and he lunges at Peter and he and he Peter's able to you know turn his body into his organic metal the an organic metal that makes him colossal he, you know he activates his power just in time to be punched again and this blow is so powerful it throws Peter Peter Rasputin Colossus back into Harry and Molly and they're both knocked unconscious uh Peter you know is surprised by this and he's talking to uh, to to Bobby and Bobby just loses it. Um, he's telling them that it's serious. You know, you might have hurt them. And Bobby begins to lose his form, right? He he begins to disincorporate. Not really disincorporate, but he comes... Uh, he just kind of starts to, like, uh, 
fade. Like the, he just loses his form. He, he blackness just begins to engulf the room, and it it spreads throughout the bar, and um, he he begins to like almost go berserk. Like I think the berserk is the best way to describe this, uh, and. And during this, in this just sheer, is like this panel is perfect because uh, the face of Bobby, the eyes are like crazed and like they remind me of the demon bears. And I made this comparison before. Like what I see here from Bobby is so similar to what I saw, how the, the demon bear was depicted. Um, and his his mouth is open, a sunspot. He's got these like just like crazed looking eyes, and his teeth are all jagged. I'll try to find this and make sure this gets put up on the scene as mentioned, uh, or as this the the, the as mentioned um, page on Facebook. But uh, what we see is Roberto shrieking. Right, it looks as though he's shrieking, and he's talking to to P- Piotr, and P- Piotr reaches out and calls calls Xavier, uh, and Xavier wakes Danny and Sam, and he and he tells them what's going on and about Roberto, and and he he asks them to go check at Harry's hideaway to find out what what the heck's going on. Uh, this page is absolutely stunning. It's absolutely stunning. Uh, we see both of the two new mutants members laying in bed, and in between them, we see. Uh, Xavier's face. It's 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 perfect. It's so perfect. Anyways, Sam goes to to meet up with Danny who's still getting dressed. He walks into her room seeing her naked. He blushes. She tells him he should knock. He apologizes. He's super embarrassed. She says that he looks cute when he's blushing. Uh and this is just kind of kind of, you know, something that happens to Sam quite often. Um but uh, Sam takes Zanny and they fly towards Harry's hideaway. Peter's trying not to hurt Roberto. He sees that something's really wrong. He's trying to keep his distance. He doesn't want to hurt Roberto, but uh, Roberto's smashing up the bar. Uh, and they become entangled, the two of them. Um, you know, and, and what, 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 what Colossus is trying to do is he's trying to restrain Roberto, he's trying to stop him from doing harm to anyone else, the the bar, or or himself, or or Colossus for that matter. Um, but what begins to happen? Because um, he, he, you know, and Colossus also realizes that, like in even in his sunspot sunspots, even as Roberto's in his sunspot form. One blow from Colossus could potentially kill Roberto. Like, he's that strong. And Roberto's not, remember, not invulnerable in his sunspot's form. And so he's got him wrapped up. He's trying to restrain him, trying to protect Roberto. And Roberto's body just engulfs, begins to engulf Colossus. Um, And Colossus is being absorbed. And he feels as though his life force is being drained away from him. His strength is being pulled from his body. And he, he's able to connect with a hard blow to Roberto's face, sending Roberto, as still in this, this monstrous form, crashing through one of the walls, out of the building, smashing into a tree. And Roberto's still in that, like, demonic, evil, dark form. He's leaning against a tree, and he finally... 
his powers fade from his body and he he's laying against the tree on the ground still as Roberto uh looking like he's just the average boy um and Danny and Sam find him there and we have a moment here where Sam see that Danny and <clears throat> Danny and Sam as they're flying there to to this bar and they see Roberto flying through the wall out to the tree where he, he comes to a final stop and Sam is unable to maneuver he runs into the ground and uh, again we have Sam inability to maneuver thankfully his blast protects the two of them and they're un- uninjured but this kind of does it's going to come back later as Danny's going to be commenting later about Sam and telling him to watch out and Sam is going to voice his concern and his lack of confidence in himself. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So as I said, Roberto's against a tree, and and he does transform back into his uh, human form. Uh, and Daniel Moonstar and Sam, they don't see in the darkness what he, how Bobby's sunspot form is so distorted. Right, they don't see the clawed fingers, the the jagged teeth in the mouth, the the sheer you know anger and rage that appears in this form, and so by the time they they do get to Bobby, he's returned to his human form, um, but at the same time, um, Colossus is left um, stripped of his senses as well. He's unconscious in the bar after throwing Bobby outside of, out of the bar. And, uh, yeah, these two, Bobby and, 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 uh, Colossus are going to be rushed to back to the mansion to be examined. Meanwhile, the heart of the Bermuda Triangle, we see a boat and it's, it looks like a fishing vessel. And we quickly find out that Lee Forrester uh, and Magneto are on board. And if we'd been following uh, Uncanny X-Men at the time, we know that uh, Lee Forrester has rescued Magneto from the ocean and, and from a, a handful of ravenous sharks that were going to eat him. Um, Lee Forrester had also been running around and had a romantic entanglement with Col- uh, Cyclops. And she is now uh, helping out Magneto. She is helping him um, really escape persecution. He, he'd been injured, and he'd been in the hospital, and he, he wanted to go home. And what Claremont is doing here is humanizing, which is weird to say because Magneto is a mutant, and he's very much uh, a proponent, proponent, his character, of mutant uh, superiority. Uh, but what what Claremont is trying to do with Magneto is build some depth to this character. Instead of just having this evil husk that does damage to humans and is an enemy of the X-Men, he is building a a character that has reason and for his actions. We are beginning to see his past, that he was a Holocaust survivor, that he doesn't wish harm to mutants. 
He doesn't want to hurt the X-Men. He wants to save mutant kind. And he just has a different way of approaching that than Xavier does. But I am getting ahead of myself. And I guess before we continue, that is, that's what Claremont's point out here is. He's, he's slowly building Magneto to a character that can be redeemed that can be understood, that can be empathized with. And in doing so, he is building this character to the trap. He's building him up towards what is going to happen in Uncanny X-Men number 200, the trial of Magneto, where Magneto is essentially becomes a headmaster of the school, uh, uh, Xavier's school. Anyways, like I said, that's, that's down the road yet. But we are seeing his uh, humanization here and uh he's returning to a place that he considers safe and home and that's octopusheim and the, the in fact this is this was a base that the x-men had used after they had defeated magneto this um, originally magneto had uh used this as a base the, the x-men had done battle with him and defeated him and he and he was forced to leave you know he, he left he fleed and and for a time xavier's x-men were Station based at Octopusheim, and uh, Magneto finds it odd that they would return home to the to the mansion instead of staying here because this, for him, this is safe. This is a place he can he can recuperate where he is safe from the outside world. There's no humans that are going to come and uh, assault him and attack him, and and he sees the X Men as being vulnerable in and amongst the people he considers enemies the humans right um what we're also finding out is that in his weakened state he is struggling he doesn't have very good control of his mutant abilities his ability to manipulate magnetism it's it's not uh it's not very um it's not very uh it causes him pain he's not able to do it and if you remember Asteroid M was hit when our friend Warlock rocketed to Earth. And Magneto basically plummeted to the Earth and crashed in the ocean. That's what's happened to Magneto. Um, So that's kind of caught up. And this has happened throughout these two issues. uh, Uncanny X-Men and and New Mutants. Claremont's weaving the story in and out of these books. Uh, So... Magneto, he, he considers this a safe place to be somewhere he can recuperate, and he considers that it, this is his home for him. And on this page, page 9, uh, we get this beautiful establishing shot of Octopusheim as the boat comes to a stop at, like, what is essentially the dock. And in this, we have an homage, an homage. We have Bill Sienkiewicz playing homage to Cockrum. And you see Cockrum's name scribbled kind of into the wall of Octopusheim. Uh, it, it appears as though it's like cracks, but it, it's Cockrum's name. And it's pretty obvious, pretty, pretty easily stands out, but it's, it's cool to see that. Um, now, Lee Forrester and Magneto disembark, and they're talking about who created Octopusheim. They theorize they're not humans, they weren't humans, and they're possibly aliens. We really never get the answer to who created the Octopusheim. But here, Magneto uses his abilities, his magnetism, to start moving something, and he's struck with pain. He grabs his head, he starts to fall. Lee Forrester goes to him and, to help him, and he pushes her away. 
saying, way, you know, he doesn't need a human's help. And she tells him, no, that's bull. And she's got a great quote. And I think it speaks exactly to what Claremont's trying to do. So I'm just going to read it. If it wasn't for this lowly human buster, you'd be shark meat. You owe me your life. But you won't admit that, will you? The master of magnetism is supposed to be above emotions, feelings, fear, or gratitude, or anything might reveal that at heart, for all your posturing, Magneto is still really only human. And I love this because, you know, again, like I said, Claremont's trying to make this character sympathetic. He's wanting to make him more of a chaotic, neutral type of figure, right? He's, he's trying to make him understandable, relatable. Like, oh, I can see why you would do that, right? And he's doing, you know, I think he's doing a really good job. So he's slowly over time moving Magneto from this evil villain who's unsympathetic, creating depth for this character that makes him an extremely, extremely interesting character because we start to understand what his motives are and that that he is maybe just has a different method of getting the same ends as Charles Xavier. Um, and and I like that we have him being uh, written this way right now. It, it's, it's great, and it makes him an extremely uh, relatable and understandable character for uh, villain for the X-Men. And, and I actually enjoy that he's going to take over headmaster duties eventually at Xavier's Institute. Uh, but we are getting, like I said, ahead of ourselves. But it's a really, really awesome piece of storytelling here between uh, Sienkiewicz and Claremont. Back at Xavier's school, uh, we see that Roberto and uh, Peter Rasputin, uh, Roberto's sunspot and Peter Rasputin's Colossus, they're both laid out on what appears to be medical tables, and they are being monitored. Uh, they uh, they are under the care of Xavier and Moira right now. And what we discover is that they're both in a deep, deep coma, and that Xavier, he's unable to even, even reach them with a mind probe at this point. He can't uh, get any readings from them telepathically. That's how deep this coma is that they're both in. And as far as he can tell, there's no medical reason as to why either of them should be unconscious right now. They should both be awake. They're in perfect, fine health. There's nothing that he can get from uh, medical scanners or any of that that tells them that there's anything even wrong with them. There's no organic or psychic cause for what for this condition that these two are, are suffering from. Um, we also discovered that... Uh, Xavier has checked on Harry and Molly, and they're both uh, okay. They're not. They're not injured. And that Xavier uh, helped to ensure that Harry keeps things quiet. Doesn't you know go to the media or doesn't you know start a whole bunch of ruckus about what happened in his in his tavern. Uh, he he has paid to cover the repair costs. Uh, now uh, these two are you know Moira and, and and Xavier are continuing to try to figure out what what has happened. Why why. Why are both, uh, why was Roberto in such a rage, in a berserker rage? That's what uh, Colossus had indicated when he called for help. Um, and now why are they both unconscious? Meanwhile, upstairs, Sam and Danny are trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And Sam 
he asks if they maybe should think about waking the others up and letting them know what's happened. And Danny's like, until it, you know, until there's something to tell them, until we know what's going on, until we've heard from Moira and Xavier, there's no reason to wake anybody up. Um, and she wants to know, you know, she's concerned. She wants to know what's taking so long. And Sam said, well, he, he kind of places this in, in an amount of time. Now we're going to get, he tells her it's not even been an hour. So it hasn't even been an hour since they've returned to the mansion. So we've got some sort of a timetable kind of here. We know that things have not taken that long uh, since we last saw them. And Danny then asks Sam, why was, why was he even there? You know, there's no reason for him to be there. He's not allowed to be in the saloon. It's off limits to all the new mutants. And he knew that. So why would he go there? And Sam suggests an answer to that, that there was something uh, going on between Molly and Berto, and that it's entirely possible that Bobby went to see her. But he's surprised by that, too, because Bobby, last he saw Bobby, you know, he didn't even know he left the house. He he saw him getting ready for bed, and Bobby was complaining of a headache. So he, he's just mystified as to what's going on. And Danny is starting to, you know, suspect she's like you know they keep finding clues to suggest stuff but they're just leading to more questions so the this mystery is just not getting any answers the phone rings and she runs out she answers it danny answers it and she's surprised to hear who's on the other end of the line she drops the phone and she begins to run and she stumbles and falls uh, and Sam's there, and he and he's kind of chides her. He's like, you know, you're not, you shouldn't be running. What are you crazy? Your legs aren't fully healed. You're gonna hurt yourself if you're running up and down those stairs. And you know, he's concerned. He doesn't want her to get hurt. He's he's like I said, chiding her, and she's like, you know, don't doesn't want to be yelled at. She just wants to go see. Rain. She needs to go upstairs and see Rain's room. They go in and they find Rain's bed empty. Soon we see Sam flying above New York City with, with Danny in his arms. He's carrying her. And he's complaining that his arms are tired. And she says, well, you know, I've got faith in you. And he chides back. He replies, like, at least one of them has faith in him. And and I kind of wonder if this is him. Like, how honest is this? Is this their, this, their friendly banter? You know, because they've been kind of poking at each other this entire issue. Um, so is this just friendly teasing, flirting, or is this Sam, like, honestly, you know, is this some honesty from Sam? You know, we've seen him struggle with his confidence um, lately. Uh, as he's flying, he, he is flying low and fast, obviously, because that's how it goes with him. Um, and she she yells for him to watch out for a car. He tells her, uh, you know, I, I knew what I was doing, and... You know, you're just being a scaredy cat. She calls him a creep. Um, but they land. They get to the hotel. It's it's a really fancy hotel. And and Danny feels, she tells, we, we find out through her, her thought balloon that she feels like this is really familiar. She just looks and feels so familiar to her. Um, and we don't know why yet. Uh, they go in and Sam's like, this is a really fancy place. And she says, Tru-, you know, just tells him to trust her. And the clerk, clerk uh, at the desk uh, <clears throat> initially 
his initial reaction is, you know, to really summon a security guard is what Claremont's telling us through the narration. But that, you know, really, it is all, you know, quickly he is put at ease because he sees what Danny wants him to see. And this is a new use of her abilities. I think it's a brilliant use of her powers. Something that um, I don't know how often we really see. It's certainly the first time we've seen her do this trick. And what she does, instead of pulling from a general area of his thoughts, she looked into his mind and found something specific, a specific thought to pull from. She pulled what he wanted to to see, which was a very specific-looking uh, couple. And so for him, he sees Sam dressed in a top hat and, uh, you know, like a tuxedo. And she's in, and Danny, she she looks as though she's in this elegant gown. Uh, And so he doesn't think any of it and anything of this. And they head quickly to the elevator and they head up. They get in and they head upstairs. Now there's another uh, Easter egg here. And we see Professor Clouseau. He is from the Pink Panther movies. And he is peering past a, uh, peering over a, a, uh, a plant, uh, you know, a plant in the, in the foray. Um, it's just this little Easter egg, and it's kind of funny. And uh, it tells you kind of the sense of humor that uh, Sienkiewicz has. Um, anyways, they get on board the elevator, and, and Danny's pretty taxed. You know, pulling this thought from, this specific thought from the clerk's head took a lot out of her. And and Sam tells her, you know, asks what floor. She says, we're going to the penthouse. But I, I need to do one more thing, and that's to figure out who the specific image of this this clerk had in mind for the penthouse suite. And he tells her like she she needs to take it easy, but she tells him he can't, she can't. And so she she does this again. And this we you know, again this is this is targeting a specific thought. So she's really got a focus. Um and she's able to do it. And what we see is a beautiful splash page, I should say. Uh but it's this really elegant red-headed woman, very beautiful, very regal. She's in this yellow uh, 80s-style, you know, pants suit thing, Um, really just very beautiful and stunning. And uh, she sees, I mean, we see this image pulled from this clerk's head, and Danny puts it out before them. And... They they kind of know who they're looking for. They they figure out this is the person that's upstairs. Um, and so once they have the image of the woman, Danny asks Sam, "Do you recognize who this is?" And he says, "He asked her if he was supposed to." And so they get to the penthouse and they knock on the door. And they're going to try to figure out who this woman is and why, you know, what's going on. And instead of this woman in this beautiful outfit, we see Danny. Oh, we see, sorry, Danny. I ruined that. <laughs> we see Rain. It's Rain Sinclair who answers the door. And she's she's very meek here. She's crying. She's upset. She says Danny and she leaps at Rain. And she leaps at Danny and, and, hold, and, and hugs her. Um... And they come in and they try to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, 
and and she tells them she didn't know how she's come to be here, how she got the clothes she's wearing. How could have I worn such things? I mean, she just doesn't feel comfortable in any of this. You know, she's very prim and she's very, you know, sheltered. She's very much, you know, the clothes don't fit. She feels just like ridiculous and very much like scandalous, I think is probably a good way to put it. Um, she can't, she doesn't know what people would have thought had they seen her like this. The last thing she tells Danny she remembers is saying goodnight to her and then going to bed. She doesn't know what happened. And this is, there's a similarity between what we know from Roberto in his story and what happened to Rain. Um, and so they've got to get Rain back home. And so... Danny tells asks Sam if he can carry them both back to the to the mansion, and so um, that's where they go. They take they take Rain home. Back at Xavier's mansion, Danny's putting Rain to bed. You know, Rain she doesn't know what's going on, and she's you know she's glad to be home. She feels safe with Danny. I, I'll, I'll say that, and she is worried, and she she is curious if she might be crazy and Danny doesn't know Danny doesn't really have any answers she just knows they found her and uh she felt familiar everything's felt really familiar um Danny notices something on the nightstand next to Rain's bed and it's a necklace and Rain doesn't know where it came from she doesn't it's just she had it and she's not sure she doesn't really have any answers um And Danny asks if she can borrow Danny, again, she sees this necklace and it seems very familiar. But again, she doesn't remember it. She doesn't, it just, it's like faint memories, something that's just somewhat familiar to her, but she just can't really place any of this stuff. She just, it's so weird. It's so out of place. And she wants to borrow it. Rain says, take it, you know, keep it. Um, and so Danny says, you get some sleep. Um, and she heads out of the room and it's, it's morning. It's it's getting to be morning, and and she's tired. She's so tired, she doubts that she's gonna figure out and get any answers to what's going on. And Sam asks her if she's talked to Professor yet, and she says that Moira and Professor Xavier are still in the lab, and they're you know they have the sign up. Don't bother them. And Sam's you know tells her you need to quit stalling, and Danny's like you know you know just you know quit busting her chops you know she's doing the best she can and when it comes to rain she feels like she's got to protect her that that she needs to take care of herself and and sam points out now that you know he's responsible for the team too he's it's it's his job and he can't do his job if she's keeping some of the facts secret from him you know that trusts a two-way street and she apologizes to Sam, telling him that he's right and that she's been keeping some stuff from him, that she had had this dream last night, and she says it's a really yummy dream, which I guess that means it's a really good dream. Um, I don't know if that means, like, 
maybe some promiscuous activities occurred in this dream. I don't, I don't really know. But uh, she tells us that she was roaming around Manhattan, dressed to kill and looking spectacular, staying in the swankiest hotel suites of the swankiest hotel in town. And Sam answers, this is the place we found Rain in. Same hotel, same room, same outfit. And she tells her, you know, it wasn't a dream. It tells Sam that it wasn't a dream. In fact, it was a reflection that she was able to experience this because of their shared psychic, you know, rapport. Um, and so she's beginning to, you know, that since normally rain can only transform to a wolf, but maybe she's, she's a metamorph and maybe she's still beginning to evolve. Maybe these uh, various incarnations are evolving in a similar way that Danny's able to uh, use her powers in different ways, right? Just by simply focusing on different parts of the brain or looking for different specific things in the in the mind of a person, she's able to pull out certain images, right? She can pick those images, and maybe Rain is beginning to you know evolve as well. Maybe. Uh, Maybe that's the answer why she was able to transform into this beautiful regal woman, um, the spectacular beauty. Um, so that's her, you know, she's kind of thinking about that. And she finds it really odd that the night that uh, Roberto goes berserk, Rain's sleepwalking in a different body. And she figures that these, this is just too, it's just too likely that these things are related. And she's wondering if there's an outside power affecting the two of them. Um, and and Sam pushes her, you know, let's just let's just turn this over to Xavier. We just you know, let he he's got the experience. He's he's got the smarts and the experience. He's best able to sort this out, you know. And she's upset. She throws the mug. She says, Yeah, I'm sure you know, Sam, I'm sure of it. I know the answer, you know, I, she knows the answer, she's sure of it, she throws the mug, it crashes against the wall, uh, you know, there's just too many, there's all these pieces bouncing around her head to this puzzle, she just can't get them to, like, come together, she feels like she's so close, now she, you know, she kind of breaks down, she's upset, she's tired, she's exhausted, her body's probably giving out on her, you know, she's, she's pu pushed herself to the limit here, she's not at full health, and she's, you know, pushed her mutant abilities to the limit. She's forced herself physically to the limit. Now she's exhausted. You know, she's just starting to, you know, she's she's pushed herself really far, and and she wants to take care of this. She wants to be the 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 soul, you know, the person who's got the answers. But she she figures, you know, she's you know that Sam's right. He's right. She kind of starts to break down. She starts to cry. She tears up. You know, Sam's right, you know, she decides, and that she's been acting like an idiot. She's too darn proud and stubborn for her own good, and we've seen this before. We've seen this before, early in the issues. She wouldn't trust her teammates, you know, and so Sam pushing her here I don't think was a bad thing. And so she's getting ready to call in Furbury and let, let Xavier know. And Sam says, well, he's going to clean up the coffee mess that she made from throwing her mug at the wall. And he takes a newspaper and, and he sees a picture in it and and he's like tells Danny that she better look at this and he points out that a wo woman and a couple a young couple had been attacked a few nights ago at Lincoln Center uh and they were mauled by a wolf 
and the the witnesses say that the throat was whipped out of the girl and the guy was ripped up pretty bad too um and the paramedics arrived and neither had any marks and there was no sign of a wolf and here's a photograph of them of the two the two individuals the man and the woman and he asks her if she remembers them from last summer and she says she does you know they do they know who they are and so they go to the hospital the roosevelt hospital and so quickly they are at the hospital and they see the names on the room they read the room and it's Tyrone Johnson and Tandy Bowen and we we comics fans will better recognize these two characters as cloak and dagger and if you've been listening to the podcast or if you've read the new mutants you know that uh the new mutants crossed over in uh Marvel team up annual number 6 and in that issue Roberto and uh Rain were injected with a drug that was supposed to uh, basically turn them into cloak and dagger uh and 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 supposedly cloak and dagger had pulled the in this this drug from their body that was doing harm to them from the system um and that's that's the, for whatever reason that didn't cure them that these two uh are <clears throat> that rain and danny uh and bobby are still still manifesting their 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 powers and and they are they haven't been healed in fact and they what what Danny and Sam find out is that cloak and dagger Tandy and Tyrone have been stripped of their their powers they're no longer cloak and dagger they they've reverted to their human form to their human selves they're 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 just humans and they don't they're not exactly too thrilled about helping. They don't want their powers back. They want to stay human. They see those powers as curses. And th- th- there's no reason to return to that. And they don't see it as their fault. And they tell them there's nothing that they're going to do. And there's nothing they can say. So they, they need to just go. Uh, and obviously Sam and Danny are not happy with that answer. Meanwhile, back at the Xavier Institute in the infirmary. Uh, Xavier's getting worried. He's he's starting to crack, break a little bit. You know, he's 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 telling Moira she's got to try harder to break these comas. There's, he, or sorry, he's telling Moira that he shouldn't try any harder. He's been trying to use his mental abilities to break their comas, but if he pushes any harder, he could do them lasting damage. Whatever is wrong with them is beyond his abilities he's not going to figure it out and Moira was shocked she tells him that she didn't think that was possible and <clears throat> we get this interesting conversation and Sharon Freelander and Tom Corsi come up and they've both been turned into Native Americans and you know it's it's a part of this uh you know white people turning into people with of color uh we we see this uh, time and time again in X-Men. And, and it's it's odd and troubling when it does occur. This isn't the only time it happens. Uh, we see that again. We're going to see a British woman, Psylocke, turned into a Japanese woman later down the line. <clears throat> you know, and it's, you know, it's it's a weird choice, but it's what we have here. And, you know, Maybe it's something down the road we'll we'll try to dissect a little bit more. 
Uh, but right now, I'm just going to keep going with the story. Because what we do get out of this conversation, putting that aside, and, and their transformations occurred in the Demon Bear Saga in issue number 20. So you can go back and listen to that. It's it's basically he turned them in, the Demon Bear turned them into Native Americans. And even though they were you know, released of his control, they never reverted back to their human selves. Um, Xavier wasn't able to figure that out either. And he doesn't like losing and and there's there's nothing Moira can do there's nothing Doctor Strange could do they weren't able to be cured but they can't live in isolation in Muir Island any longer and so what what we're getting from this conversation is that they're going to come back and live at the Xavier Institute um, and they're just going to have to adapt to life as Native Americans which is a really kind of weird conversation to have I admit and there's a reason, you know, like I was kind of getting at it before, and I think it's something we'll have to discuss, hopefully in further detail down the road. Um, you know, if you want Native, I guess we'll just bring it up now. If you want Native Americans in a comic, you just make Native American characters. If you want Japanese characters in a comic, you just make Japanese characters. Now, that being said, I don't think that, I'm not going to, you know, like we saw blackface in the New Mutants, we've seen characters changed into different races. I still love the X-Men, and I still love Claremont's writing, and I still love Zinkevich's art. As odd as that is, and as troubling as some of these decisions are. But what this does is that we see a place where Xavier's abilities to help people, they're not, they're not certain. Like, there are consequences for for actions and here Xavier is losing he's losing here with with Roberto and Colossus he's not finding answers that he's hoping for he's not able to wake them up and no matter how badly he wants to fix this problem right now he is not able to there's nothing he can do and that's something that his character is not good at dealing with he is not good at dealing with an ability to uh, handle what is dealt. Um, it, it, every time I see this come up with Xavier, I think of the Kobayashi Maru uh, test that Kirk cheated to beat. Right, the only way nobody had beat it, and you know, it's it's basically a no-win situation. It's not supposed to be beat. You just have to make the best choice and save the most lives. And it's to teach Starfleet officers that. There's no win situations, and sometimes you just have to learn how to lose with, you know, and make the best of a bad situation. And Xavier's not good at that. Heroes are often not good at that. It's either all or nothing. <clears throat> and so that's kind of what we're getting here. That's kind of how what I liken it to. Um, and this conversation doesn't last long other than, you know, Moira pointing out that he hates to lose and him telling her, well, you know, I, I, for him, there must always be possibilities and hope losing. He just can't live with it's being helpless. That drives him mad is what he tells her. And as they're having this conversation, Roberto turns into the dark shadow form, the demonic possessed form, the dark evil force and awakens and as they're leaving the lab, his body, his body begins to envelop the room in a shadow. And he reaches out for Colossus, Colossus swallowing 
Colossus into the shadow. That is his, his massive um, body. He consumes him. He's starved. He's hunger. The darkness is hunger. And he reaches out for Moira. And Xavier tries to, to push him back. To, 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 you know, stop Roberto and allow Moira to raise an alarm. And he uses his, his telepathic powers to mind blast him. Xavier doesn't hurt Roberto at all, though. Uh, so instead... What happens is this mind blast is flung back Xavier, basically taking into this darkness, this empty darkness, this starving hunger, and it's reflected back in full force into Xavier. Um, <clears throat> and, and it knocks out Xavier. Um, and, and Moira watches as this shadow lunges eagerly forward towards, the, towards Xavier and swallows him up. And after Xavier's swallowed, it will come for her. And that's the end of this issue. The next issue is Howell Hart. And that's issue number 24. And we will pick up again uh, the the story of Cloaking Dagger and what, what's going to happen to Rain and uh, Roberto. And I got to say, you know, for... What we had with the Demon Bear Saga, we had this beautiful horror motif, right? Like this this horror comic, very much. Uh, I felt that's the way that was presented. And I like how this one's presented. Um, it's, it's as though it's a mystery, right? And like, especially this issue, and that's kind of where I came up with the name. I liked the role reversals where the female is the detective and the man is the is the like... The girl, he, Sam, kind of fulfills the role of a girl in those, you know, those old uh, detective movies, and and I really like that uh, juxtaposition of these characters, the the flip flopped roles. Um, I really like this issue too because I, I just like how the story's laid out. I really enjoy, especially the Sam and Danny relationship, their their banter, their conversation, and I love the the way it's laid out in this mystery where they're trying to connect these clues and it's just not there. And we, the readers, it's hard to read this after having read it before and say, what was it like the first time I read it? But it feels very much like a mystery and I like how the clues kind of slide into place. Um, always, I think, with the X-Men, it's, it's one of the things that's hard, uh, especially with Marvel. It, really, all of Marvel. At this point... You have a writer like Claremont who's willing to draw on something that happened years ago or a year ago. At the time it was being collected, at the time as the books were coming out, it might have been really hard to go back and find a copy of Marvel Team-Up Annual 6. And so if you missed it when it came out, it might be hard to go back and find out exactly why Bobby and Rain were Cloak and Dagger clones or what had happened, what caused this. Um, and I think they do an okay job of kind of catching us up. It's well enough that you don't need to read it, but you know, it does, it, you know, 
If you want to be a completist, if you wanted to have that experience, today it's possible, especially with the internet. You can reach out and get whatever you want, pretty much. It's at the reach, you know, if you've got the money, you can afford it type of situation. Um, some comic books have enough back issues that you can find this stuff without really having to do much effort uh, or wait for it to come in the mail. And some of it's available on sites like Marvel Unlimited. So, I mean, it is possible to get all this. And, you know, the stories. Honestly, I wouldn't even have the... I wouldn't be collecting... I wouldn't have started collecting Marvel team-ups. Honestly, if I'm really honest, if when I first started collecting, like honestly collecting comics, my focus was the X-Men. It's always been that. And so anything that spun off of X-Men, I wanted. And that led me to issue comics like team-ups because you have mutant characters that were from the X-Men in those books. It led me to Defenders, Champions. And then I kind of just exploded (laughs) lately and just kind of collect whatever I can get my mitts on. But that's how it started for me. And so, like, I already had some of these issues um, as I collected, even before I probably completed my New Mutants run. Uh, That being said... That's just a long way of saying, you know, if you want to read these stories in their entirety, it's certainly possible, especially today. Um, and and I honestly believe that I really like this. I really like this issue uh, for so many reasons. I, like I said, I really like the story and the interplay between Sam and, and Danny. Uh, I like what we see with Magneto. I love seeing his character, <clears throat> seeing Claremont take time to work this character towards being human, humanizing him. It's not exactly the words maybe I want to use, but it makes him understandable and relatable, and you can start to see what his motives are, and that maybe he's not just a bad guy, right? And so it makes his character much more, uh, I think, much more enjoyable and much more interesting to read. Uh, and that's when... I talked at the beginning of this this episode about how Celine, her character had so has all this potential to really be an interesting, intriguing villain, but we're just left with this how the single-minded villain, right? She's just evil to be evil for evil's sake, and that's kind of a shame because there's so much potential for her to be explored and really pushed in so many different directions. I think her character could be really very interesting character, and and. If we had that depth, I think you would get a more intriguing villain. Because that's what always, I guess, especially here early in these New Mutants issues, her first appearances, it's like, wow, there's so much potential here. We have this big history of her life, you know, and if we start to explore that, start to define some of that, or, you know, give her some motivation that might be semi-understandable. And, you know, maybe life eternal and being a vampire and taking other people's lives and sacrificing them to a volcano to ensure that you have eternal life is how do you redeem that. And so, you know, there's some, you know, I don't know. That's not for me. I'm not a writer. I'm just saying there's potential there and it's untapped. And I don't know what that looks like. Uh, I think a good example of an evil character that gets to be semi-redeemed and has uh, a writer come on board that does that is when Simonton takes over for Claremont on the New Mutants, we're going to see Simonton 
giving some, taking a look at Empath and his relationship with uh, Amara, Magma. And in that, we're going to see her uh, kind of provide some humanize, again, like provide some uh, depth to to his character. And in turn, he becomes less evil. I mean, he can still be a villain, but he's not just evil for evil's sake anymore. And we start to see some depth to that character that wasn't there before. And there's nothing wrong with just having bad guys be bad guys. I'm just saying they're not as interesting always. Uh, whereas every time Magneto shows up anymore, it's like he's got so much story and so much pathos to him that, you know, he could be good, he could be bad, and there's just, you don't know. It, you just get so much more from that character. Um, so, you know, that's here. We see that here. And uh, uh, the Hellfire Club. I mean, there's just so much happening in this issue. And I don't feel like it's jarring that we've been interrupted. The story's been interrupted. It flows so well. I think the layout of the issue's done well. I think Zinkevich is a master of tell- storytelling. Uh, and when, he, like I said, when he's paired with Claremont, his art style complements the writing so well. They just work so well together. Um, it's such a pleasure to read. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting start to this, to this uh, story. Um, now, that being said, uh, I do want to talk quickly, very quickly, about uh, the New Mutants movie. Just this week, um, news has come out that uh, it's probably going to get delayed again. Uh, so, New Mutants, Demon Bear Sire, for anybody that's not familiar, most of my listeners, I sure, I'm sure at this point, are. Fox had the rights. They were going to do Demon Bear. They did the movie. They shot it. It was in reshoots. They came, they've continued to postpone this film. It's been postponed again. Uh, and it's probably going to be released straight to Hulu, um, which is kind of disappointing. I've heard so many things uh, from other podcasters talking about how the director of the film really seemed to understand New Mutants and really had a grasp of the con, uh, the of the of the the book and the uh, really an appreciation of it that that made it hopeful that he was going to do a good job with the <clears throat> with the movie. Um, I've also seen some previews that it's hard to know. It looks like a horror film. The concept of doing Demon Bear as a horror, that's kind of cool. Um, but, you know, I'm starting to think that we may never see this film. It may not even... I mean, I kind of always suspected that, especially after Disney acquired the rights to the movie, to, to Fox. Um, and it, it, depending on how that pans out... This this film may never see the light of day, uh, so we'll we'll see what happens. Um, it's depressing because I was, I'm I'm I am I'll be honest, like I'm not sure. I'm not 100 percent sold that this is gonna be that good a movie. I have not been overly impressed with the X Men, the way Fox has handled the X Men. Um, there are some, you know, like there are some things I really enjoyed. But uh, overall, I think obviously Marvel's done some of the best work in superhero movies, uh, thanks to their partnership with Disney, and or the being owned by Disney, their parent company being Disney. Um, so 
Disney knows how to make movies and creative teams in Marvel Comics, uh, Marvel creative forces have had a lot of sway in that. And I think the movies are all the better because of that. You know, and, and Fox just doesn't seem to pick that up. And I have not been impressed. And it's been easy. I have been boycotting Fox movies for a, a while now because their unwillingness to work with Disney, well, now that's relationships changing. And so that boycott can end. But uh, at the same time, I'm not sold that this movie's going to be all that good, and that's just me speaking from the heart. And I would love, I'd, I'd love so many things. I'd love for this movie to go to theaters. I'd love for it just to be released, whether that's to Hulu, Netflix. I don't care at this point. I just want to see it come out, and I want to see it. I do, whether it's good or bad. And I'd, and I'd love, I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to be wrong that this movie's going to be great. Um, and I, I, I still plan once I get, uh, you know, to to a good spot. <clears throat> You know, I was going to try to wait till <clears throat> the movie's release date to <clears throat> talk about the movie more in depth. And uh, I still would like to do that. Um, so that's still some an episode I'd like to do. And so I, I probably should wait and hold some of my opinions back for that. But uh, it's it's tough news for any fans of the new mutants that have been waiting for this movie to come out. It's not the best news and it's not the news I was hoping to hear because it's, it was going to be the first, it was poised to be the first uh, Fox created material that I've seen since I started boycotting, you know, and that the last thing I think I saw, uh, I haven't seen the Deadpools. I haven't seen the last one I think was Wolverine, the second Wolverine movie. Uh, and then I and then I just started boycotting after that because Marvel was creating this fantastic superhero uh, genre movies, genre related movies that are the best, the market, best superhero movies in my opinion that we've seen to date. And Fox isn't interested in even working out a way that they could pair the X Men with the Marvel universe and. When they wouldn't play ball, there was no reason for me to continue paying money to see their their subpar movies, uh, because they weren't going to get better. In my and that's just my personal opinion. Again, I say that because everybody's got their own opinion. Some people really like that stuff, and that's great. If you do, I'm glad that you found something you really enjoy. Uh, and I can't complain too much. The very first X Men movie, I was elated to see that because it'd been something they talked about in Wizard forever. And they'd cast the characters. They'd, they'd cast actors, and as as their who would be the perfect character to play these these characters. And and I always enjoyed that as a kid. And so when X Men finally came out, you know, I was I was ecstatic. And at the time, it was one of the best superheroes ever made. And then Spider Man came out, and that was even better than the X Men. And then uh, Batman Returns, and then we finally got Marvel and Disney and. The movies that came out because of that are fantastic. Um, but that partnership has also brought some other things. Uh, I've been reading Sean Howe's uh, Marvel Comics Untold Story. And like the partnership with Disney, I think you can kind of go back and... I mean, you look at the cover price of a comic anymore. The new comics coming out are like five bucks a pop, you know. Uh, it's expensive, <laughs> for a comic uh but then magazines are almost 
$9, $10. So maybe that's not that big a, a price jump, but I remember buying them for le- much less than that. Buck 25, buck 50 uh in the 90s. So, you know, for me and my my major collecting days and new stuff coming right off the rack, that's that's the prices I was paying. So, <clears throat> There are some things I think to be said that maybe the influence of Disney in this again we're we're kind of pushing back into what is corp what is public ownership of a comics media company what's that look like and how does that affect readers and collectors and uh you know I don't know anyways that's a lot of nonsense to close out this issue, uh, this episode. Maybe you didn't like the opinions. Maybe you do. If you do have some thoughts, please feel free. You know, uh, get a hold of me either through uh, the Anchor voice message uh, software or via email or my Twitter. You know, Facebook. Those are all available options. Uh, please, I'd love to hear from you. If you got opinions, comments, questions, I'd love to answer anything you got. Uh, but uh, thanks for tuning in this week and. I can't wait to come back next week and we'll dive into uh, issue 24 uh, and see what is going to unfold with Cloak and Dagger and Roberto and Rain. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant, via email at explorethenewmutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Please, uh, reach out, contact me if you have questions, comments, concerns, opinions about any of the stuff I said in today's episode. I'd love to hear from you. Another really handy way, besides those above that I mentioned, to contact me uh, in this podcast is via uh, <clears throat> the Anchor messaging uh, software. That allows you to record minute-long messages and send them directly to me. I can take those messages and play them directly in the episode, so it's a really cool way for you, the listeners, to become involved in the podcast. And I really encourage it. Um, so, until next week, when we cover issue number 24 of The New Mutants, keep reading those comics. <laughs>